So I got lots of stuff kind of churning around on the inside, and so um, <clears throat> we're just going to kind of, oh no, I feel naked. I need my Bible. I don't have my Bible. Well, we'll try it without it. I, I can't do it. It's such a, boo, will you, in, my, in the bag in the sound room is my Bible. I, it's my blankie. It's my comfy thing. I know that sounds really weird, but you know, we've been preaching for 22 years with the same Bible. If it's not up here, it just, uh, I don't know what to do. So I want to start here with this definition. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And this isn't uh, thank you, Boo. Give Boo a round of applause. She did a great job. <laughs> it's because she, good job, Noah. Give Noah a round of applause. All right. All right, that's enough. Okay, all right. Anyways, um, so this definition, uh, it, it's applicable to all of us, but it's going to hit some of us differently because we're just in different places. And uh, I believe that if this doesn't apply to you, then heed it as a warning that is something that God is warning you to watch out for. If it does apply for you, I want to encourage you to, uh, to maybe uh, ask God to look at things differently. Here's the definition in the word. The word is apathy. And the word apathy means a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. The lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. I spend uh, not a lot of time on social media, but I spend some time. I deleted Facebook. Those of you that go to Octane, we had that discussion a couple weeks ago. You know why I deleted Facebook. But I'm still on Instagram, and uh, I follow a lot of churches, a lot of pastors and, uh, from different parts of the world. And uh, I see these students all over the world that are just, like, really hungry and excited for God. And I'm just, like, wondering. And, and Carolina, she's with us for a couple more weeks. And so we were talking to her about uh, Ecuador and the teenagers down there. And she was kind of telling us that they're kind of seeing the same thing, uh, just a lack of interest or enthusiasm or concern. And I think that in the United States, there's a real sense of apathy amongst the younger generation when it comes to the things of God. And again, it may not hit everybody in the room, and if it doesn't hit you in the room, then let it be a warning. Maybe right now you are like pushing into the presence of God and the things of God like you've never done before. I applaud that, and, and I'm so grateful that you're doing that. But let this be a warning from the Holy Spirit that you don't become apathetic yourself when it comes to the things of God. This is what I found. Lots of times, uh, okay, so uh, I wasn't really going to talk about this, but we're just going to follow this vein and see where it goes. Uh, if you don't know my history, I, I was raised... Uh, uh, in the wonderful mountains of Colorado. Woo! Uh, my parents have been pastors there since 1982. I was born in 1980. I know I don't look like I'm a day older, 25, but I actually am. Yikes! Thanks for that uh, unwavering support. But uh, So uh, my parents have basically been pastors my whole life. When I look around this room, I see a lot of teenagers that grew up in Christian families. There's some new folks, and I'm glad you're here. But I see a lot of people that grew up in church, especially this church. And what I found out is, like, the longer I spend in church, the more easy it is for me to slip into this place of apathy. Uh, doing youth ministry for 20-plus years, I have found that it's easier to get somebody 
who comes from a broken home with drug-addicted parents who are very abusive with their words and very abusive with their life, I have found it's easier for me to get them born again and they instantly become excited about the things of God because they see how miserable life is without him and they understand how good life can be with him. And so there's just this genuine enthusiasm because they see, wow, life without God is awful, but I found God at this place and I have all these promises in his word about how he's going to bless me and prosper me and take care of me and watch over me and guide me and lead me. And then the greatest news of all is I never have to be alone again. I have this creator who's going to be with me in all of my challenges and all of my circumstances. And let me just tell you, friends, you will have challenges, whether you were raised in church or whether you weren't raised in church. That's just the nature of the world that we live in. But here's the promise to believers. If we will walk with God and be with God, we have this steady guide through every challenge we will face. Will it be easy? No. But with God, we can come through it. This is where we get scriptures like, with God, what? All things are possible. So it doesn't matter how bad it looks. If I will stay with him, I can come through. And I found in 20 plus years of youth ministry, it's just easier to convince somebody that's come out of misery of the goodness of God. It's easier to, and and, and I struggled with this myself because I was raised on the pew. Like I was two years old and my parents started pastoring a church in Colorado and so I was around the Bible and I was around church all the time. Some of you that like have been at Cornerstone for a long time, if you think you're at church a lot, try being a pastor's kid. Like you're there all the time. And then like as you're a pastor's kid, like if they need something, it's like the pastor's kid will do it. So like I've been Jesus like 50 times in Easter plays. I've been like... Um, angels. I mean, I've done all this stuff. I have like, I don't know if I shared this with you guys or not, but one time I was Jesus and they put me in the tomb. We built it in the back of the the church and I went into the tomb and, and when we built the tomb, so we built the tomb, like for example, if it was in this corner of the building, we have that exit door. So we built the tomb around the exit door. So when they put me in the tomb as a dead Jesus, I went out the exit door and then like when I came and then I went up into the attic and I was supposed to come down and visit with the disciples. And so like from the exit door to the ladder that was gonna lead me out of the attic, I had to walk across the rafters of the nursery and I missed one of the rafters and I fell into the nursery where they were ministering to the kids. I'm like, Jesus is here, you know, wow! And so like, I, I mean, this is how I grew up, just like, in church, you know, if they needed someone to minister to the children, it was Robert. If they needed somebody to, to do this, it was just Robert. And so I was all over the place. And I found out the more time I spent around this with my parents, the less I cared about God. The more time that mom and dad were up ministering the word and pursuing the things of God because they're called to preach the gospel, the more Robert became apathetic towards the things of God. I was just around it all the time and it lost its thrill. Whether you realize it or not, maybe you as teenagers don't struggle with this. I saw it a lot in high school. Guys and girls would date for like two weeks or two months and then they would break up and move on to the next one because they lost the thrill of being with that one. And so it was like they would break up and they would move on to the next one. And maybe that's not the way society is now. This is going back to when I was in high school in the 90s. Woo! And so, you know, maybe things have changed. But my point is, is... Young culture, especially like, I see it. I have two boys. I try not to talk about them because they're in the youth ministry now. But like Christian will be playing Xbox. He'll have his iPad on and he's like reading a book. It's like we need all this stuff to stay interested. 
And if like, you know, we're in the loading screen of Fortnite, we're watching YouTube, and if it goes to a, a commercial on YouTube, then we're reading our book. And it's like, we have this problem to where like, if it's not like boom, 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 then we just get really bored and apathetic. And we lose interest. And this is what I see. I see a lot of church kids, maybe not you, that are just apathetic towards God. They're not interested in God. And I started seeking the Lord because it started to trouble my heart. And God brought me back to a couple things. Number one, to be in this relationship with him. You know, we talk about the Bible and we talk about like obedience to God's word. We're supposed to obey his decrees. We're supposed to obey his laws. We're supposed to live by the word. We just did a series out here that lasted eight weeks where we talked about Christianity being the only worldview. And one thing we talked about, we spent three weeks on it, was morality. Well, where do we get our moral compass from? Where does our morality, how is that established? Where does it come from? It comes from the word of God, right? And so we understand that we're supposed to live by this book. What one thing I know that is true is, uh, you know, uh, 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 rules without a relationship, it breeds rebellion. So I see a lot of uh, teenagers, they have the decrees and the word of God, but they don't have the key ingredient of a relationship with God. So it's producing this life of rebellion away from God to where they're apathetic, they're not interested, they don't want anything to do with it. And so God's been arresting my heart and he's been saying, let's just go back to the beginning of this. Now look at this scripture, John 14, 15, it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I was reading that scripture, and I was like, there's something here. What is it, Lord? I know you've talked about that, and I, I've always preached it, you know, like obeying God's word and keeping his commandments is the proof that you love God. And I've shared even with my wife, Rachel, neither one of us wear wedding rings, and we don't need a wedding ring to prove that we love each other. You can see it in our actions and the way that we treat each other, the way we talk about each other, how we live towards each other, and, and that's what we, so I always talk about, like, your life should be proof that you love God. Right? And that's how I've always preached it. And that is true. There should be some fruit that shows the world that you belong to God. You're not like them. You don't talk like them. You don't sound like them. You don't smell like them. You're different because the Bible says you're holy, which means set apart. Now, they can be set apart, too, because the gospel's for everybody. But right now, you are set apart. Right? And so I always taught, like, these actions that you live, it's evidence of this God you love. But as I was reading that scripture, Jesus and the Holy Spirit just started, like, leading my heart to, if you love me. And just over the last week, God was telling me, there's so many Christians who just don't love him. They don't love him. And when we talk about love, I know the world has this really twisted view of love. It's all about emotions and it's all about feelings, but when it comes to love, really love is defined through commitment. And so when I say a lot of Christians don't really love him, it simply means that they're not committed to him. I applaud your commitment for being here tonight, but listen, if your commitment doesn't go further than Wednesday night and Sunday mornings, then you're not going to have this relationship and it's going to breed rebellion and it's going to make you apathetic towards the things of God. You're not going to be interested because there's no relationship. And so God is asking us to have this personal, intimate relationship with him. And stop focusing on the commands that, yes, we're supposed to live by, but just start focusing on, how do I build a relationship with God? How do I get to know this wonderful God? And this is what I've learned. 
All those years where I grew up in church, how many years did I go to church week in and week out and week in and week out? And then all of a sudden, at the age 20 years old, I found myself sitting outside a house and I realized I've been going to church my whole life and I don't even know God. My parents know him. They have a relationship with him. But Robert doesn't even know him. And since I didn't know him, my whole life was turned upside down and I just made a mess out of it. But it was in the middle of that mess, four o'clock in the morning, where I sat down and I said, I'm ready for a relationship. And friends, when I decided that I was gonna have a relationship with the creator who desires to have a relationship with me, friends, that's when it changed. And I started taking these steps towards God and I started saying, okay, I'm gonna figure out how to love you for myself. Did you know that a relationship, you know, one day you're going to get married, in that marriage, that relationship won't work if you only love your wife through your friends. That relationship won't work if, if, if and this is why lots of times, I'm not trying to be negative in here, I saw this a lot growing up, and if this has happened to any families in the room, then, but I, I've seen like parents, you know, they'll get married then they'll have children, and they spend these 18 to 25 years investing in their children, investing in their children, investing in their children, and then their children grow old, and they, they go to college, and they move out, and they start careers, and they start their own family, and then the husband and wife, they're like, we don't even know each other anymore. And I've seen more marriages end in divorce after the children leave the home because the parents just forgot how to love each other. They were having a, literally having a relationship with each other through their children, and then when their children left, there's no relationship, though they're like, well, I guess we just separate now. And it's kind of like that's how so many Christians have this relationship with God. It's through another vessel, and this is why so many students, when they leave Cornerstone to go to college, their entire relationship with Jesus just falls apart because they've been living with Jesus through their parents or through their pastor, and they have no, and so when that's gone, they're like, well, I guess we just get a divorce now. And then they kind of put Jesus over here. And friends, when he's over here, it can get really weird really fast. And so we're coming back to this place of just loving him. Over in John 14, 21, it says, The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Incredible scripture. Let's read it again. To the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. You, we've been preached for so long that we don't have to do anything in this relationship. God just loves you. And that's so true, but look at this. It says, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. It's like, Jesus, like, where are you? I don't see you, I don't understand. And it's like, well, have we done anything to love him? Have we done anything to demonstrate our commitment to him? Have we read our Bibles when we're at home by ourselves, when we're not waiting for our pastor or our church or Sunday morning or Wednesday nights? Have we done anything to develop this relationship with God so we can know him for our, It would be a giant, okay, so I tell, you know, Samuel, who's a lot like Rachel, they're extremely picky eaters. Do I have any picky eaters in the room? Yeah, so a few of you. And Rachel and Samuel are so funny. They're not like me. You put food in front of me, food's getting devoured. That's like just, that's the, the nature of this animal, and that's how that's going to work. 
Rachel will pick it up and examine it and like check it for this and like look around and then like slowly pick out the parts. I love it because then I get all the leftovers. I'm like, boo, you just pick out the little bit you want and then I'm here for the rest. But lately, like Samuel's been kind of competing with me. We got to work out some rules here because like she left a little bit of a cheeseburger on the plate the other day and that sucker was gone before I could get to it. So the hierarchy's been broken. We need to reestablish some rules. But anyways, it's kind of, so here's my point in saying all that. It would kind of be like somebody putting like this new food before you, and before you even try it, you're like, I don't like that. Well, like, what are you basing that off of? Have you tried it for yourself? And it's kind of like, you know, we have like, we, we see this wonderful meal that God is to us. He's, he's, he's health unto our bodies. He's life unto us, as Proverbs says. He, he's peace unto us. He, it's this wonderful meal that he's put out before us. And we've seen like our pastors and our parents partaking of the meal. But it's like, you know, we like, no, I'm going to be apathetic. I'm not interested. But it's like, have we even tried it? Have we even really been committed to this relationship to see how it works? Jesus has done his part. He's died on that cross. But have I, do, have I invested the same way that he's invested unto me? Or am I just one of those Christians where I'm like, you do all the love and I get all the benefits? But this scripture, that's not how it works. The one who loves me will be loved by my father. So it's like you want the benefits of God. You're going to have to do something here, friends. We're going to have to push through this, this apathetic attitude, this attitude of not being interested in God because God, he so has wonderful things for us, but we've got to do something on our end. Over in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, but your hearts, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. I looked up that definition because sometimes when I come to words, I'm just like, eh. And this is what revere means. Feel deep respect or admiration. And so Peter's saying, have a deep respect or admiration for Jesus Christ. Like, I wonder. I know the world doesn't respect him. I see that all the time on the news, holding signs that say, like, you know, not trying to be too derogatory. I understand this is youth ministry. And so, you know, if, if, but I've seen people holding signs and it's like, F Jesus. And it's like, I mean, they're very blatant in their hatred towards him. And they're apathetic. They want nothing to do with him. You know, and, and, and I get it. They don't have respect for him. That's, I, I, I get it. But I wonder, does the church really respect him? Think about the respect that Abraham had for God. God spoke to Abraham and said, sacrifice your own son. Kill your son. Bring him up, put him on this altar, and sacrifice him. And Abraham didn't even question it. Why? Because he revered God. I have this deep reverence and respect for the creator. So if you're going to ask me for something, here it is. And because of that, they had a relationship. And through the relationship, uh, instead of when God, because right now, if God even asks a Christian, read your Bible, they immediately rebel against it. <laughs> Why? Because there's no relationship. Abraham had such a relationship with God that God was able to ask for his son. And Abraham was like, okay. We're going to figure this out together. Wow. What a relationship. What a relationship. And here's the key, guys. We talked a little bit about this today. We, we've been preached this costless gospel for so long. 
And really what it's cost the church is it's cost us this respect for our creator. Listen to me now. If you're really going to love Jesus, if you're really going to love God, and this is where a lot of young people really start to check out, if you're really going to love him, it's going to cost you something. If you're going to value this relationship, then it's going to cost you something. You know, this might not be the best analogy, but when I said I do to Rachel at the altar, one of the things it cost me was I'm saying, I'm no longer looking at any other girl. It's just part of the sacrifice I'm going to make. You're my one and only. And then that made this relationship unique and special. But it cost me something. I had to say at the altar when I said I do, you know, it's funny, some of the, 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 the vows that we say, through better or worse, just the other day I was complaining and she, she, she said, I don't remember what was happening. No, I wasn't feeling that great. And she was like, through sickness and health. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thanks, boo. You know, she's taking care of me and bringing me pizza and just, you know, being a wonderful wife. But we, we made some sacrifices and since it's cost us both something, this relationship is different than any other relationship we have. And that's the way our relationship's supposed to be with Jesus. It's supposed to be different than any other relationship you have. And what makes it different is it costs you something. And that's the problem that most of the church has. They're not willing to pay the price of what it cost to really love him. And when we're not willing to pay the price to really love him, we become apathetic. We don't want anything to do with him. Now even coming to church is a labor. It's difficult. It's like, man, don't you know, mom, dad, I got other things I'd like to be doing. This is what I'm telling you guys. It's time to push through the apathy. It's time to say, you know what? I want to be in this relationship with you, God. I'm going to make up my mind that I'm going to do this. Let's read a couple more scriptures, just two more scriptures Matthew 22, 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, it says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 33, last scripture says, you must walk in all the ways of your Lord your God as commanded you to, so that you may live and prosper and prolong the days uh, in the land and you will possess. And so next week we're going to look at this because I want to get into it a little bit. But how do we love this God? What does that look like? How do I become interested in him? What's it look like for maybe someone who's in my shoes, who's in their early 40s, what's it look like for Robert to love God? But also somebody who's 15, 16, 17, 18, what does it look like to love God? What do I have to do to begin to build this relationship so that way I don't rebel against it, but instead I embrace it so I can have the things that Jesus died to give me? What does that look like? Leave tonight knowing the first thing you got to do is you got to be willing to pay the price. You know, when Jesus was on that cross, literally bleeding out, hanging there with the nails. You know, we, we see this, 
the pictures where it talks about the nails in his hands and, and really they had to drive it through the bone of his wrist because his hands weren't strong enough to hold him up on that cross and they stabbed him in the side and they put the crown on him and, and he's, his, his lungs are filling up with his own blood and he's literally suffocating on his own blood in his lungs as he hangs there and he dies. When I see that, I see true love. I see how Jesus was committed to Robert no matter what it was going to cost him. And even as his lungs are filling up with his blood, he's saying, I love you. And then I look at my life, and God's like, turn off the PlayStation and come read your Bible. And I'm just like, that's too much. God, you've gone too far. You're asking for more than I can give. We've got to keep this stuff relative. We've got to look at what Jesus has done for us. And when we look at what Jesus has done for us, we'll be inspired to do for him. To love him as he's loved us. To be committed to him as he's been committed to us. And when we love him the way he loved us, we'll no longer be apathetic. We'll want everything to do with him. Listen, friends, when I, changed, when I gave my, my life to him at 4 o'clock in the morning on the porch of that house... And I said, everything changed. I haven't really been apathetic from that point because I've started growing and I've been growing ever since in this wonderful relationship with him. That song that we just see, I've tasted and I've seen. Listen, I've tasted and I've seen. I know that there's nothing better out there. But I had to grow in this relationship. I couldn't let someone else tell me about it. I had to experience it for myself. And that's what God wants for you, to have this awesome experience. So next week, we'll look at how to do that. Amen. If you would, just bow your heads real quick. Close your eyes. Father, this is my prayer for every student in here. That they wouldn't judge you by what they've seen others do. That they wouldn't judge you by what others have said. But they would judge you by having their own relationship with you. Whatever has caused them in their lives to want nothing to do with you. I ask that you would help them walk through that. I ask that you would help them have very honest conversations with you. Not these fake church prayers, but honest conversations with God that they would come to you and they would say, this is why I'm hurting. This is why I'm let down. This is why I'm disappointed. This is why I want nothing to do with you. Inspire them to have these real conversations with you. And I know as they have these real conversations with you, they're gonna find real answers because God, you are real. Help them push through the apathy of not being interested. Push through it so that they can get answers and understanding. And this is my prayer as I release my faith. I pray that they would have those conversations with you before it costs them greatly. I know I've seen it and I know I've prayed it out. 
And I know that fear tactics never work because fear itself cannot keep us with you. It's only relationship with you that keeps us with you. And that's why you said it's your goodness that draws men unto repentance, Father God. Because when we know you, we see your goodness, and then we don't need anything else. Your goodness will keep us. But Father, my prayer is, is that they would have these real conversations with you before something happens and it's too late. Preserve their lives. Protect their lives until they have this conversation with you. And Father, once they take that step, I pray that you just meet them right there and everything changes. That they know how much you love them and how much you care for them. (laughs) It's not just about being around this stuff. It's about being with you. And you're so desperate, so desperate to be with us. You sent your own son, and he died a miserable death so your creation could have fellowship with their creator. And I thank you if they're brave enough and bold enough to have that conversation that you just reveal yourself to them in that moment. I pray for every student that right now has a working relationship with you. And I pray that they're challenged tonight to push in even further, to dive in even deeper to this own relationship with God, to go on this journey with you, not through other people, but with you. I thank you for it. I make a way for it right now with my faith, and now it's up to them. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen.